Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, again, I love you very, very much. It's a joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. How you doing? How's your first week of the new year? Everyone's got everything lined up perfectly. Everything's going exactly the way you want it to. Your resolutions are unfolding to perfection. Me neither. (laughs) Me neither. But I want to play what if for a second, okay? I want to play what if. I want to pretend for just a moment that I'm standing before you in the first week of 2021, and we're looking back at 2020. And I want you to consider two different things, two questions. Think about for a second the resolutions that you've made. Perhaps some of you have actually made tangible resolutions and you've written them down. Or some of you have just said to yourself, all right, I got to get it in gear this year. And so you've already started to try to put more healthy choices into practice. For some of you, it's losing weight. For some of you, it's uh, getting out of debt. For some of you, it's uh, restoring relationships. Uh, I don't know what it is. We all have resolutions of some kind. And they're good. There's nothing wrong with them. But here's the question. What if in the first week of 2021, you look back and you could say this, I fully succeeded in my resolution, but God is further away from me than he's ever been. All right, so you lost the weight, you got out of debt, you restored relationships, things are going well at work, but God seems a distant memory to you. The Bible seems dry, you don't pray, uh, you you hardly come to church, it's just uh, your eyes are focused on other things. All right, so that's the first question. What if you succeed without God? Now, here's the other question. What if you do not fulfill your resolution? You don't lose that weight. You don't get out of debt. Your health does not improve, but you're closer to God than you've ever been. So you fail with God. I want to ask you, looking at those, would you rather succeed without him or would you rather fail with him? And having said that, I think that points to what our ultimate resolution for the new year should be, and that is presence of God. I'm not saying those other resolutions are unimportant. We're physical as well as spiritual beings. It is good to want to make healthy choices. I have my own physical resolutions. Those are good things. But what I'm preaching to you today is this. My number one resolution for 2020 is I want to experience a closeness with God that I never have before. And I want that for all of you in this room. I think it is the single most important thing that we need in our lives. You know, I, um, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was sharing with Dave uh, words that were taught to me at seminary that scare the daylights out of me. They said that your church will never be more evangelistic than your pastor is. Ouch. That means we're not going to be more outward focused if I am, as, as your pastor, not more outward focused. And I believe that is something that we need to be primarily focusing on this year is outreach, reaching out to our community, going as far as God would have us to go to share the good news and minister to needs and love others the way Christ has loved us. But there's one thing that we need to do before we do any of that. We need to draw close to Jesus Christ. And here's why. You cannot give what you do not have. Why is it that we struggle with outreach? Because deep down we know that we don't really have with God what we want, and so we're trying to offer something to others that we ourselves don't have. 
We need to have him first and foremost. That's why when we say heads, hearts, and hands transformed through the gospel, hands are just important as the head and the heart, but they come third in the progression. If you don't have Jesus in your mind and he doesn't change your heart, then if you go out with your hands, you won't have any impact for the kingdom of God. So before we share the gospel, we need to be transformed by it ourselves. And that is just enjoying being in the presence of God. Enjoying being in the presence of God. That's really what we're going to be talking about. So what's our big idea in one sentence? Really simple. Here it is. 2020 is a good year to be near God because his relational presence is our ultimate purpose and greatest blessing. Say it again. 2020 is a good year to be near God because his relational presence is our ultimate purpose and greatest blessing. So if you want to know about 2020 being a good year to be near God, would you join me by turning to the book of Psalms? It's right smack in the middle of your Bible. Okay, book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 73, looking at verses 23 through 28. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. Be on page 575 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence to the reading of God's holy infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. We're in Psalm 73. And again, we are uh, looking at verses 23 through 28. Hear God's word to us through his servant Asaph. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the day that you have made and we confess that we need you at this hour. We are nothing without you. You sustain us in every breath that we take. You created us and our sin brought separation, but your Son brought us back together. And yet, Father, we we don't draw near to you. Every one of us, myself included, Lord, you know every one of our hearts, we struggle. We're prone to wander. Father, would you help us as we begin a new year that we would begin this journey together and that we would experience your sweet relational presence, maybe in a way that we never have before, and that the outpouring of that is that we would reach out to others and feed them the way that you feed us. Be with us now, Father, we pray, as we consider the truth of your word here in Psalm 73. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Amen. God's relational presence. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But I want to give you context as we look through Psalm 73, make it a little bit easier to understand. Psalm 73, it says, for most of you that have a Bible, there's a little inscription there that says, a Psalm of Asaph. And I think it's helpful sometimes to know the human authors that are inspired by the Holy Spirit as the divine author of all of Scripture. So who's Asaph? 
Well, the simple answer is this. He is a Levite who it says in 1 Chronicles, David put in charge of singing in the temple. So in plain 2020 terms, he's their Jody Nasworthy. Okay, that's who Asaph is. He's leading temple worship, and he's a Levitical priest who David has put in charge of singing. And so a lot of these psalms are inspired of the Holy Spirit. They're written by Asaph or they're written for Asaph. And so these are written for worship. That is why we read the psalms every single week before we sing because those psalms were written for the express purpose of prayer and singing. Okay, I love the book of Psalms, and that's, and that's the central point of them. So Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph, and so again, he's a singer in the temple, and he's talking about this idea of being near God. Now, we've talked about this at great length, but I know there are many of you visiting for the first time or maybe a little bit while since you've been here. A lot of people come in and out for various reasons, and so I don't assume that we all are on the same page, so I want to get us on the same page. So the question is, what is God's relational presence? In one respect, we have to say that God is a sovereign ruler, and he is what we call omnipresent, which means he is in all places at all times. All right, God is fully in this room right now. Okay, sometimes we think about God stretched over all the universe, and his right hand is on this side, and his left hand is on this side, and his leg is on this side. No, all of God is in this room right now. All right, that's his sovereign ruling presence. And you have no choice over that matter. God's here whether you like it or not. However, there's another dimension to God's presence. And this is what separates God's people from those who do not know him. And that is his sweet, fatherly, relational presence that we experience by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, before Jesus... The people of God, the nation of Israel, experienced this presence by grace through faith in the coming of the Messiah. We as Christians experience his presence by grace through faith by looking back at the cross at the Messiah who came already and who we believe is coming again to make all things new. So he's not just our creator. For those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, he actually wants to draw near to us as a father draws near to a child. He wants you to experience his presence and to know his power and his sweetness. All right, and that's not something that comes natural or automatically. It's a work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, but it's a work that we have to also actively participate in. As we'll look at at the end of the message, God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. All right, so there's a partnership there. If you want to know God's presence in your life, you play an active role. And that's what we're going to talk about as we, as we walk through this. All right, this takes effort and it takes experience. So why should we draw near to him? Why should that be the focal point of 2020 for us that we would want a nearness with God? Well, Asaph gives us, I think in this particular portion of the passage, five reasons why. So I'm going to walk through them at a good pace here, but it's a good year to be near God for five reasons, and here's the first. Number one, because He is our counselor. Listen to verses 23 through 24. It says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So what does it mean that God is our counsel? 
He's our counselor. What does that mean? Well, I think back to a few weeks ago during Christmas. Most of us remember this passage. We, we sang it. We, we read it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of course, we believe that prophecy of Isaiah was uniquely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So why is Asaph referring to God as a counselor? And why is Isaiah saying that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? Well, we got to think in terms of an Israelite mind for a second. Okay, We live in a democracy that has a president. They lived in a monarchy that had a king. All right, And when they have a king, if you look in, in biblical times, they would go to the king for counsel. God would give the king wisdom to basically deliberate between people and explain to them where they should go and what they should do. A wonderful example of that is King Solomon. King Solomon took the throne after David at a very, very young age, and it says that he prayed for wisdom, and God came to him in a dream and granted him his wish that he'd have wisdom to govern the nation of Israel. And right after that, he puts his wisdom to work. You see all these stories of people coming to Solomon and him judging between people and counseling them and where they should go. We forget that in 2020 in America because we live in a democracy and we have a president who doesn't give us counsel but who makes policy. It doesn't make it wrong, it just makes it different. And so we have to think in terms of how an Israelite would think, and that is the king is the one that God's giving the wisdom to show us where to go and to show us what to do. And our king is Jesus Christ. If you want to know where you should go, and you want to know what you should be doing in 2020, you need to spend some time with King Jesus. He needs to be your wonderful counselor. He needs to be the one to show you where it is that he wants you to be going. How does he do that? Well, he does it through his, his presence. He does it through prayer. And he does it through his written word. Okay, we say this every Wednesday night during the Awana season. We say in Psalm 19, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we spend time meditating that Jesus is with us and, and come clinging to him in prayer and then reading his word, it's not that opening the Bible tells us what school we should go to or tells us who we should go see or this or that. That's not what the scriptures intend. But no, the scriptures show us who Christ is, where he is, and when we have his presence and his spirit, then we're guided to go out and do what he's called us to do. He is our counselor. And I love this. Not only does he tell us where to go, he holds our hand as we go there. All right, He's not just giving us good advice and patting us on the rear end and saying, go, go do it. No, he holds our hand. Isn't that what the end of it says? It says, uh, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. So he's a wonderful counselor that not only knows the directions, but who's going to walk with you every step along the way. And that's why it's good to be near God in 2020, because he is our counselor. So before we move on to point two, maybe a question of application What's the primary source that you're seeking counsel in 2020? As you think about the decisions that you need to make, is it good to receive human counsel? Absolutely. All right, as a pastor, God has entrusted me to give wisdom and counsel to people, and it's my joy to do that. 
All right, I also have a tax accountant who gives me wisdom on how to file my taxes. We got some great ones in this room too. All right, I also have a financial advisor that helps tell me where I need to put certain things. We have people in this room who are gifted in marketing who can tell you how to uh, give you counsel in terms of how to market your business or whatever it is that you're doing. All those things are important. But who's the primary person you're turning to to make the decisions that you're called to make in 2020? If it's not God, it needs to be God. And that happens through prayer. It happens through the reading of the word. And it also happens by gathering together as the church. There's a presence of God here that we can't manufacture by ourselves. Because this is true worship. So number one, it's a good year to be near God because he's our counselor. Number two, it's good to be near God because he is our desire. Listen to verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Here's the deal with the human heart. It is a desire factory. You cannot not desire something. It's humanly impossible. God created you to be a longing being, to be a desiring being. All right, sometimes uh, there's been movements in the history of humanity where people have tried to ignore their desires. They're called Stoics. Well, just ignore every desire and just be Stoic and, and, and just grunt your way through life. Or there's the Buddhists. The Buddhists say we just need to let go of every desire because that's the flesh and the flesh is evil and only the spirit can be cleansed. Those are not helpful. Those are not biblical. All right, Christ has given you desires. All right, and many of those desires that you have are good, but sometimes you put them in the place of God, and when a good thing becomes a God thing, that is an idol. And, and the fact of the matter is most of us would have to admit that we have many idols in our life because they started out as a good thing, but we didn't pay enough attention and they became a God thing. Our primary desire has to be God. And guess what? When you wake up every day and put your foot on the cold hardwood floor, you have the world, the flesh, and the devil that would love to fill your heart with any desire other than Jesus Christ. And so this is not a one-time thing. I think I, I say this a lot behind the pulpit because that's one of the cardinal sins of the Southern Baptist tradition. We make salvation a one-time event, and then we say, I'm good. Now, my primary job is to go out and fish for others. That's a good start. That is a primary thing. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. But we work out that salvation with fear and trembling for a lifetime. And that is constantly evaluating what has my heart right now. I know a, a pastor uh, from our seminary, and he literally says every time someone comes into his office, how is your soul today? I haven't got to the point where I've asked that question because I think in this community, people probably look at me like I've got four eyeballs. All right, But you need to ask yourself that question. How's your soul today? Where is your heart? None of us have this thing licked. I can preach this. I can know this. But I myself in the next 24 hours will be tempted to put something in my heart that makes me desire something more than God or have anxiety over something and making it bigger than God. Our desire has to be with God. Now, what are some ways that we can refocus our desire on God? Well, I, this, is where the, this is where the Bible excels. All right, and I would encourage you, if you're a note taker, very quickly write these verses down in your Bible, okay? These are called Psalms of Desire, and I'm going to give you just four of them and then read them quickly, okay? 
Psalm 27.4. Okay, Psalm 27.4. That's the first one. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. Okay, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. And then the last one is Psalm 84, verses 1 through 2. It blesses my heart to hear you writing those down. Uh, now, let me show you how this works. Okay, this is tangible. I don't want it to just be pie-in-the-sky thoughts here. I want you to go home and try these things, okay? If I'm not being practical, I'm not being helpful. All right, when you're at a point where you don't desire God, and God wants you to be honest about that, okay, I'm a pastor and I can say there are days that my heart for God is as dry as toast. But what do I do in those days? I take these psalms and I either A, read them just as they are, or I pray them back to God, or sometimes I pray, God, make this a reality in my life. So hear these words. Let me read them. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. So this is a psalm of God. I just I want to gaze in your beauty today. I want to know that you're here with me. All right, Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Maybe this is a psalm where you say, God, make me thirst for you like a deer pants for water, like I'm in the desert. Give me that thirst because, Lord, I haven't had it in a while. All right, Psalm 63, 1 through 4. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Again, you can either read that or pray that or turn it around to God and say, I want my flesh to faint for you, but it, I'm not right now. I want to desire you like water in the desert, but I don't right now. Will you help me? And the last one, Psalm 84, verses 1 through 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. I think it's okay to admit, I want to be honest with you. I'm not saying I wake up every morning and every single one of these songs is the reality of my life. No, because I'm a human being just like you. My heart can be dominated by things that are not God, and I need to refocus. And these psalms help us to stir our hearts and say, this is what I want, God. I, I don't want you right now, but I want to want you. I want you to be the focal point of my life, and I'm struggling with this over here. Would you help me by your spirit and refocus me in your presence. So before we move on to point three, just ask yourself, what do you desire right now more than you desire God? I'm not asking you to feel guilty over that. I'm asking you to think about it. I'm asking you to think, what is the desire that you have that is stronger than God? And confess it to him and say, God, in my own strength, I can't do this, but in yours I can. Will you, will you help me to desire you? So, as we move on to number three, it's a good year to be near God, not only because He's our counselor, not only because He's our desire, but number three, because He is our strength. 
Listen to the first part of verse 26 says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Here's an interesting thing about Holy Scripture. In the Old Testament, one of the primary ways that God talks about grace is by offering mercy and forgiveness. And that certainly is an aspect of grace. But in the New Testament, the primary way that the Bible talks about grace is by God's strengthening power. All right, nine times out of ten, when you see the word grace in the New Testament, the the writers of the New Testament, uh, predominantly the Apostle Paul, he's saying that God's grace is sufficient. He's saying it's power to live a faithful life. We talked about this passage last week about the thorn in the flesh, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, let me make this practical. How can God be your strength in 2020? I heard an author mention this recently, and it was so helpful to me. I just hope it's helpful to you. Uh, The author, a gentleman named Alan Fadling, he has a ministry called Unhurried Living. He talks about living in the rhythms of God's grace. And here's what he says. He said that no matter what you're struggling with right now, what anxiety that you have right now, attach two words to the end of it. And those two words are with God. So if you're struggling with finances, well, I have to pay a lot of bills, but I pay them with God. If you're struggling at work, I have a lot to do and there's so much stress on me, but I'm not doing this alone. I'm doing this with God. Whatever you're going to do, Satan would love for you to think that you're doing it by yourself because if you believe that, you're going to do it in your own strength. But when you believe in the with God principle, you're no longer seeking your strength, you're seeking his. And let me just make this even more tangible. There's a prayer that you can pray And I want you to think about praying this on a daily basis. When you get ready to face a task that is a task that naturally you don't want to be doing or you're not gifted in doing and you're you're procrastinating on it, you just don't want to do it, pray these prayers. God, I don't want to do this in my own strength. Help me and let's do this together. Again, God, I don't want to do this in my own strength. Help me and let's do this together. I can tell you that uh, that prayer saved my, my fall. As I finished my last semester of seminary, I really stumbled to the finish line and I was just exhausted. And, and for me, because I have attention issues, okay, in the morning when I wake up, I'm full head of steam, my mind is clear and focused, and then my, my attention's like hours or sands in the hourglass by, by lunchtime. I'm a different person, okay? I know the limits. And so when I, have to, when I have to spend my mornings doing things other than thinking and writing and studying, and, and in pastoral ministry, a lot of times that's visiting hospitals and staff meetings and all those things, and I have to wait till the afternoon to do things when I'm at my weakest instead of my strongest, I can tell you how many times in the past two months I've been at that computer, before I type a, a, a word, I say, God, I don't want to do this in my own strength. I don't. Thank you for coffee, but thank you more for Jesus. Give me more of you. I need you. I need to do this. You know, the thing is, God has gifted all of you in so many ways that you trust in your own strength because you can get really far on your own strength. There are some people in this room, you're so gifted that you can skate by a long time without God's strength. But here's the deal. 
you're also weak in a certain area, and God, out of his love, will exploit that weakness because he knows it'll make you cling to him. If you don't believe me, look at Paul. That thorn in the flesh, Paul was accrediting that to an enemy of Satan. Well, God said, no, I'm not removing it. So God may not have been the one to put the thorn in there, but God's the one that left it there. And he left it there for a reason, because he said that he would start trusting in the strength of God, and when he was weak, then he would be strong. You need to know the strength of God and whatever he's calling you to do. You don't have to do it alone, and you don't have to do it in your own strength. You do it in his, and you do it by asking him over and over and over and over again, God, I don't want to do this in my own strength. I want to do this in yours. Help me, and let's do this together. So that's God is our strength. Number four, as we start drawing to a close here, 2020 is a good year to be near God because he is our inheritance. Listen to the second part of verse 26. I'll read the whole verse, but listen to the second portion. It says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, to understand what that means and how it applies to you, we need to understand who Asaph is and what he was saying when he wrote it. Now, remember I said in the beginning, Asaph was a Levite, and he was in the temple, and his job was to lead them in the singing and the worship. Well, something else you need to know about a Levite from the Old Testament is, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, when they followed God and entered into the land of milk and honey, God gave them all an inheritance of land. All right, so... You had you know, the, uh, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and Simeon and all these tribes all got a portion of land except the tribe of Levi because the Levitical priest uh, got something even better. It says in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20, the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Why is it that God was so hard on the priests? You ever read the Old Testament and see priests that were living in sin and God wiped them off the face of the earth like that? And you read that and go, wow, what if he did that to me? Well, guess what? Too much is given, much is required. The priests were given unspeakable privileges because their portion was God. They didn't need to have land. They got to be in the temple all day and experience his power and his presence and lead the people in worship. Well, here on the other side of the cross, as children of God through Jesus Christ, we are all offered to have God as our portion. We don't need to go through a human priest to experience God. Jesus himself is our high priest. The whole book of Hebrews points to that. So through Jesus Christ, we need to approach the throne of grace with confidence and celebrate that he himself is our portion. He is our inheritance. And the Psalms talk about that a lot. Here's what the Psalm says. Psalm 16:5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 119, verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Psalm 142:5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So how is this practical to us? It's practical when you remember the greatest blessing that you have is not what God does for you. It is God himself. 
It's not wrong to pray to God and ask for health. It's not wrong to pray to God and ask for strength and financial blessing and wisdom and guidance and direction. We talked about all those things so far in the psalm here. But we need to stop and say, God, even if you don't give what I ask here or here or here, if I have you, I have my portion. If I have you, I have my inheritance. My heart and my flesh may fail. I may get the worst doctor's report this year I've ever gotten. You may not heal that cancer. You may not get me out of debt. You may not give me the job that I want or allow me to leave the job that I don't want. You may not answer that prayer for a long time. But I have you. I have enough. I want to enjoy you. That's why enjoying his presence is so important because that is celebrating the reward. When we don't, when we don't seek after God's presence, it's like opening a present under the Christmas tree and then never playing with the toy all year. The present's not a good present unless you take it out of the box, read the instructions, and play with it. All right? I mean, if we have God as our inheritance, the outworking of that portion is that we experience Him, we cling to Him, we, we celebrate Him, we read His Word, we pray, we sing to Him, we, we, we remind ourselves every day, you're with me, you're with me, you're with me, you're with me. He's our, he's our inheritance. And so that leads me to our fifth and final point here as we look at verse 28. He is our refuge. It's a good near, year to be near God because God is our counselor, our desire, our strength, our inheritance, and our refuge. Now, I'll read verses 27 through 28 for context, but I want you to pay close attention to verse 28. It says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So when we say that God is our refuge, what do we mean by that? Well, I think that we need to say that God is the place where we find rest and protection. That's what a refuge is. A refuge is a place that you go to find rest and you're protected from those who would violate that rest. And that's who God is. Now, somebody explained this to me recently. I knew this a long time ago, but what a great reminder it was. I want you to think about this. This is a duh moment, all right? It's going to seem so obvious when I say it, but most of you have probably not thought about this. When God created the earth in six days, he rested on the seventh, right? So at the end of six days, he made human beings, and he stood back and said all that he made was very good, and then he rested on the seventh day. Well, here's the duh moment. The first day that human beings were on the earth, it was not a day of work. It was a day of rest. So it's not that our, 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 our purpose here on, on earth is to work and then we just rest so we can keep working. No, our purpose on this earth is to rest in the presence of God. And from that rest, then we do good work. All right, I want you to stop and think about that. You are not what you do. Your identity is not in what you do. It's in your identity with Christ. All right, it, and if we believe that, I believe it's actually going to make us more productive because we're not working to achieve or maintain an identity. We're just working from the outflowing of what God has already poured in because we've spent time with him. All right, God is not impressed with your talents. What he wants is your heart. That's what he wants. So I want you to think about that. The seventh day for God was the first day for humans. And that was not a day of work. Did he give them work to do? You better believe it. 
He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply, to tend the garden, to take care of the animals, to, to, to have dominion over the earth. We have a major work to do. We don't have all the time in the world to do it. So I'm not saying that the goal of our life is to lay in bed and do nothing. No, I'm saying that we begin each day resting in God, spending time with God. And then the outpouring of that is the Great Commission. We go, we get out of our comfort zone, we make disciples of all nations, we minister to needs, we share good news, and we tell people what he's done in our life so that he'll do it in theirs. If you don't believe me, just look at the end of the passage. Look at the connection in verse 28 of rest and then work. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Then listen to the end. That I may tell of all your works. He's near God. He's resting in God. He makes God his refuge. And out of that, then he goes and tells the good news to other people. All right, why is it that evangelism is not effective or we're not passionate about going out? Because we haven't spent enough time with him while we're in. We rest in him. We rejoice in him. We celebrate in him. And when we have him, it's a light that we can't keep to ourselves. It's a light that will blow those doors wide open. It's a light that pricks our heart when we're in the grocery line at Bilo or pricks our heart when we're sitting at a bus stop, or we're getting ready to get on a plane, or we're crossing paths with someone we haven't seen in a long time, and it's that burden we have for them that we want to love them and have them experience what we are experiencing with God. Why do we not have that burden? Because I think somewhere, even on a subconscious level, we know we can't give what we ourselves don't have. This has been a hard lesson for me. When I first got to seminary, my thought was, I'm going to get trained up and I'm going to do gospel evangelism and missions and I'm going to go, 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 go. Get maybe a good 10-minute devotion in the morning and then pour my heart out to God. Well, I've gotten it backwards. I'll give you a quote from the secular world. Abraham Lincoln one time said, if you want to chop down a tree, you need to sharpen the ax for eight hours and cut for two. All right? A lot of us are going out with a dull axe and we, realize, we wonder why the tree ain't coming down. It's because we're not spending time with God. And, and not, by the way, spending time with God, praying for things is incredibly important, but the, the, the presence of God that I'm talking about is not, God, do this, God, do that. God, in your name, we ask that you do this and do this and do this and do this. No, the primary part of coming to his presence is, thank you, God, that you are here. I love you, God. I praise you, God. Thank you for what you've done for me through Christ. Help me to see your beauty. Help me to know you're here. And then we move to, and God, would you make me a champion for Christ today? Would you make me aware of those that you're going to put in my path who don't know you? Would you make me a light and make me salt? Would you use me as an instrument that when they see me, they would think of you? And would you make me bold to share where I've gotten this light? that they would want what I have, that will be a powerful tool for outreach. And I believe that's God's intention. So what's our, big, or what's our summary statement here? How can I wrap all this up in one sentence? Here it is in one sentence. Continue drawing near to God in 2020 through repentance and faith in Christ, and he will draw near to you. 
Continue drawing near to God in 2020 through repentance and faith in Christ, and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. All right, that's some harsh words at the end there, but it helps us to know why it's hard to draw near to God. So I'll close by saying this, easier said than done, right? So Bo, I love everything you said, but why have I not experienced that? Am I doing something wrong? You know, I'll tell you this as as someone who's preaching this. I was praying this in my office this morning. God, don't you let me preach this if you will not make this the desire of my heart and a reality in my life. Why is it that we struggle to experience the relational presence of God in our life? I'll give you four things to think about as we close. Number one, I think it's a lack of faith. All right. Certainly those who don't know Jesus Christ, God has a love for them and a desire for them to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. But if you don't know God as Savior, you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Therefore, it is impossible for you to know Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because to worship Him in spirit, you have to have the Spirit. So there are some that just don't even have faith. Now, there are plenty of people that say that there is God and they make up their own version of God and they worship an illusion of their imagination but their, their, their lives will never be transformed by that. No, to, to truly experience the presence of God requires faith in Jesus Christ. It requires faith. Well, for those that do have faith, we'll say, well, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I believe he's my Lord and Savior, but I'm still not experiencing his presence. But, well, let me say this, sometimes there's a lack of obedience. Now, here's the deal. There's nothing that you could do to gain salvation And there's nothing that you could do to lose salvation. That's all an act of grace through faith in Christ. However, as a loving father to a child, there are things that you can do or not do that bring an unnecessary separation. I thank Danny Williams who preached our revival last year. What he said is, he's the closest to God when God puts it on his heart to do something and without questioning, he does it. Perhaps that's a problem for me because I'm a planner. So God put something on my heart. I want to pull out a spreadsheet. Say, all right, how can I do this in five steps? Well, sometimes I think that's wise, okay? Because I'm here for the 30-year plan at Cedar Street, not the one-year plan. At the same time, I know there are basic things that God tells me to do, whether it's going over to talk to somebody, or I can just tell you this as a pastor, I'm just being honest with you, having difficult conversations with church members who need to hear truth in love. Boy, if there's something that I look forward to putting on next week's agenda and not this week's, is having difficult conversations. That's been the hardest thing about being a pastor. So I say that to all of you because there are some of you in this room that are on next week's agenda. (laughs) And I want to tell you in love, it's not easy for me to make those calls or make those visits. But I also know I'm not going to cower down to my calling. So I need God's help in that. And if I don't obey him, I can't expect him to draw near to me. The third is lack of confession. So perhaps there's things that you're doing or that you've done that you simply will not bring to the light and God says, I love you, but I ain't blessing that. I love you. You haven't lost my love. I love you now as much as I ever have, but I'm just not going to put my hand of blessing on that until you turn to me, confess it, and walk away from it. You're not going to know my power and my presence in your life. That's my, another burden I have as a pastor. I see people I love making decisions that by God's nature, he cannot bless. Therefore, you're forfeiting God's opportunity 
to bless you. And until you confess, you're not going to know his presence. That's why I lead us in confession every week. It's not just something you check off the bulletin. It's important. And then the last, and I think we're all guilty of this in some regard, is lack of silence. Why do we not hear God and experience? Because we're too loud and noisy. And the world's getting louder. I don't know if you noticed. It's awful easy to keep yourself distracted. In fact, I know at times where I'm struggling, sometimes I, I try to keep myself busy and perhaps that can be helpful for a season. All right, I've, I've been reading for the past few months now biographies from Teddy Roosevelt and that guy, his, his mantra was, if you're in trouble, get busy. Now, in some aspects, it says, you know, that idle hands are the devil's work. So there's an aspect of that, that staying busy and working and doing good things can be helpful. But if there's not a time in your day that you do not sit in silence and just even if it's collecting your thoughts on the day and getting ready for the next day, don't practice the presence of God and remind yourself that he's there and just talk to him. If you don't practice that, it's not going to happen. It takes effort. He said, draw near to me, and then I will draw near to you. It's a partnership. There's a lot that only God can do by grace, but drawing near to him is something we need to be actively participating in. So there you have it, my primary resolution for 2020. I want to be near God, and I want his people in this church who he's entrusted to my care to be people who are near God. And so as we enter into this time of invitation, I'll say two things. Yes, there are some of you in this room. I would venture in a church this size right now in this room. There are some of you that you may not even be aware, but you are not a follower of Jesus Christ because your life doesn't belong to him. And I want to say God loves you so much. He sent his son to live a life that you were called to live, but you couldn't because of your sin. To die a death that you deserve, but you couldn't take on because of your human limits. All right, to rise from the dead three days later, making a way from death to life. For going up to heaven and sending down his Holy Spirit to live inside you. And to do the work he's called you to do until either he calls you home or he comes back to make all things new. That's the gospel. That's the good news that I've just shared with you and it commands a response. Do you believe you need a savior? And is Jesus Christ the savior of your life? Don't you leave this room without crying out and saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and savior. But perhaps he is. For most of you in this room, he is. You'd say that you know Jesus. You would say that you love Jesus. And me, as your pastor, looking at you would say, I believe them. I believe you know Jesus, and I believe most of you in this room love him genuinely, but you haven't experienced his presence. Perhaps this is a time to draw near to him that he would draw near to you. It's a time to re reflect on 2019, and maybe there's some skeletons in the closet you need to bring to the light. And this is a new year to turn the page and say, we ain't going down that road again. Or maybe it's a year where God has said for, for months now, you need to do this. Go talk to that person. Call this person. Restore that relationship. Make this right. And you're saying, I don't have time yet. And God's saying, I'm waiting for you to do that so you can experience this. So maybe it's obedience. And then maybe it's just silence. Maybe you have to make time in your day to be quiet. God can get our attention any way he wants but I believe that the scriptures teach he prefers to whisper in the wind instead of screaming through the thunder. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you because 2020 is a good year to be near God. Let's pray.
Father, you know the cry of my heart. Again, we preach best what we struggle with most, and it has been a struggle to keep my mind focused on you, my heart open to you, my ears closed to the outside world so that I'd be silent enough to hear you. So Lord, I I say this in front of all of the sheep that you have entrusted to my care. Do a work in our church and start with me. Allow the presence of God to reside in my heart and let it flow out into everybody in this room and then as it flows into the people in this room, let it flood out into the streets. Let it flood out onto the mission field, Lord. Let us be the salt and light that you have called for us to be that we would not be an inward-focused church but an outward-focused church because we're a Godward-focused church. I beg you, Lord, that in 2020, we would experience the presence of God in this church in a way that we never have before. And I pray that bold prayer in an even bolder name, the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.